0: Before we get going this morning, let's just pray for God to, to bless us. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll bless us, and, um, and Lord, help us to be aware that all around us there are people that are struggling and hurting. And so Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to, to be the hands and the feet of Christ. And Lord, I just thank you for what's going on here on the West Side. I thank you for the Spirit to serve others, and uh, we just can't praise you enough for your perfect example. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, this will be the last message that we've been, it's a, been a lengthy series that we've been in since the beginning of uh, the year, uh, co-walking with Jesus. And again, the whole premise is, uh, which I love, is if you were to follow Jesus, if you were one of those early disciples, and every day you were walking with Jesus, at the end of that time with Jesus, what would you sit back and say, this is what I learned from living and walking with Jesus? And we talked about, you'd know that prayer was a priority, you'd know that the Holy Spirit was a priority, that exalting God and His Heavenly Father with His words was a priority. And we're going to get into what I think is probably the most critical thing that Jesus did as far as strategy, because He definitely was very intentional about what He wanted the church to become and what the priorities were in His life, and it was investing in a few. Overwhelmingly, if you were to take out a Uh, a calendar and a timeline, and you looked at all that Jesus did and looked at how much time he spent with the masses, a lot of people, and then how much time he invested in those disciples, those few. Overwhelmingly, he invested the majority of his time in those 12 lives. And the church, honestly, just needs to follow the exact same strategy that Jesus followed. So last week, if you remember, we used an illustration from a book called Four Chairs by Dan Spader. He said every church can actually visually think of, as we are moving folks and helping folks grow in Christ, that our challenge is these four chairs. So I just want to share uh, a review. The first one is when somebody is spiritually curious, that's this whole come and see. Are we doing everything we can to make people feel welcome? Matter of fact, we talked about how important it is when we have the come as you are, that that's not just a clever catchphrase. It means we want you to come and we want your friends to come and feel like at church that you come as you are and that you bring your baggage because everybody has baggage. Can I have an amen on that? And again, if you're saying I don't have baggage, you're lying. Okay. We all have things in our life and we all have pains and struggles. And so we need to reach out and say, we want to be the kind of church that says, Come as you are. The other one is. When Jesus reached out to his early disciples, he's like, hey, just follow me. In other words, spend time with me. Get to know me. And so I think, again, one of the things the church has to look at is do everything we can to help people when they make a decision to follow Christ is to answer the, hey, what's next? Do everything we can to equip and to train and help them. And there's so many ways the church can do that. But boy, that's a critical stage. But today we're going to get into these last two, and it gets tricky now. Because now we're going to get into more of a committed relationship. This is the, first, the next one, chair three. And we would just simply call this fishers of men. If you've got your scriptures, go ahead and turn with me over to Matthew 4. And I'm going to pick up verse 18. And it'll be 18 and 19. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, verse 19, would you read this with me? Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to fish for people. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you, the phrase is, fishers of men. Now, what in the world does that mean, and why is that so important? When you surrender to Jesus Christ, let me give you two guarantees. We don't print this in the church bulletin, but this is a guarantee. Number one, your life does not get easier. It gets more complicated. It just, uh, because when you accept Jesus Christ, what you're saying is, I'm willing to change my priorities. I'm willing to change my relationships. Everything changes when you follow Jesus Christ. And we see this pattern time and time again. Think of the folks that follow Jesus from a distance, they drew close to Jesus, they surrendered to Jesus, and how their lives radically changed. The disciples, Nicodemus, Mary Magdalene, the blind man, Zacchaeus, Joseph of Arimathea, on and on and on, they come in contact with Jesus, they commit their lives to Jesus, and does life get easier? No, it gets more complicated. And the second thing is your priorities change. I mean, if you're serious about Jesus Christ... The things that used to matter so much slowly start to fade away because now all of a sudden it's the priorities that Jesus has for you. Well, that's what's happening to these early disciples. And it's interesting when Jesus said, are you spiritually curious? Just check this out. Then he went to, hey, would you like to know more about me Come and follow me? And now it's like, you know, you've learned enough. Now it's time for you to step out. And when he says to be a fisher of men, Let me define what I believe that truly means because it is not an easy thing. One of the things we've talked about, too, here that I love is, let's say somebody's visiting the West Side and they decide, hey, I think I want to be a part of that. Now, the the church, and this isn't just our church, just every church used to say, so that means you'd like to be, and finish the word for me, a church what? Member. And here's what I love. I believe this started with Roger Clark. We've been talking about this a lot, and that is... That word membership, honestly, it's a very annoying word. I'll be honest with you, I can't even stand that word membership. Do You know why? Because when you're a member of anything, if you're not careful, you feel what? Entitled. I'm a member. I carry a card. I'm special. And here's, do you ever hear Jesus say, uh, hey, these are my disciples. And uh, by the way, they're my members. They're carrying cards. They're very special. No, not at all. I love the word partnership. In other words, we love what's going on. We want to be a part of that. We'd like to serve side by side with you. That is such a huge step for any church is to get to the point where they say, do you want to serve with us? So here's what Jesus is really saying to these men that we're following. And I love this. He goes exactly where they live. He knows they love to fish. So he talks to them. In words that they clearly understand, and when he says, "I would like you to be," I challenge you to be fishers of men. Would you write this one word down? Leadership. That's what he's saying. You've been following me. Now, what I'm asking you to do is lead. You're gonna. You know this already. I I have kind of a twisted sense of humor. Uh, There was a, a cartoon strip I absolutely loved. I was so sad when this guy stopped doing his Far Side. I don't know if you guys ever read the Far Side cartoons. You're just as much of a sinner as I. But anyway, uh, this is one of my ultimate favorite Far Side cartoons. If you'd see that bummer of a birthmark, Hal, I just love that the deer standing up, big target. And if somebody were to say, "Hey, John, can you describe leadership in one sentence?" That's it, bummer of a birthmark, Hal, because here's what all of you who are in leadership would totally agree: when you become a leader, guess what? you have accepted a target. You've accepted a target. Now, here's the thing. I remember how naive I was in Bible college, and I would daydream. I know you have a hard time believing, but I would actually daydream, and I would daydream as, man, when I'm in a leadership position, it's going to be great. It's going to be so exciting. And then you become a leader, and you wonder, why did I ever want to do this? You don't have to raise your hand, but I guarantee some of you right now, this is what you're struggling with. You're in a leadership position, and you've realized this isn't fun anymore. It is draining. There's an old phrase by Harry S. Truman, President Truman, remember that? The buck stops here. And here's the problem with the buck stopping there, is that means there's a lot of people coming to you for change. You know what I mean? A lot of people. And when you lead, it is hard. So let me share some realistic things and qualities about leadership when you're a leader. Here's the bad news. Leadership is hard. Raise your hand if you agree that leadership is hard. It is hard. And it's hard for what I would call the three killer Bs. And here's the three Bs. Number one, busyness. When you accept the responsibility to lead, you know what changes? Your calendar. Your time is no longer your time other people's time. That's your time. And if you're like me, you get your calendar out and you start going through the week. You do that on Sunday afternoons too. Maureen and I would say, now what's going on this week? And you're exhausted by Wednesday. And, And the thing is, it's when your calendar gets so crazy that you assume nothing out of the ordinary is going to happen. And isn't that the week when everything out of the ordinary happens? That's what life is. And when you're a leader, it gets very busy. The second one is burnout. You go from being extremely busy, pushing, 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 and then all of a sudden you start to feel what they call burnout because you realize that physically, emotionally, you're getting fatigued. Another sign is you're beginning to detach yourself from the people closest to you. And for me, I can't speak for anybody else, I can always tell because there's a couple things. I'm completely out of balance physically and spiritually. I can just sense it. Uh, and then here's, here's the kicker. A lot of folks, you can tell you're starting to burn out by your eating habits. You know, Some folks, they stop eating when they're going through burnout. And there's other folks, they just eat more. Do you want to guess what I do when I start to burn out? That's exactly right. I stop eating. I lose all kinds of... It's embarrassing. But here's when I really know I'm getting, like, crusty, like burnout setting in, is my compassion meter goes way down. I get really frustrated with people. Instead of my heart hurting for people, I have this thought. Well, seriously, when are you going to get your act together? Now, you shouldn't have those thoughts, but that's what we have when we start going through burnout. Or we see the guy holding the sign, we're like, really? I mean, is that the best you can do? You misspell that third word. You know, you you lose all compassion. And when you start to lose that, you need to step back and say, whoa, 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 what's happening? And here's what's happening. As a leader, you're beginning to burn out. You realize that people don't show up all the time when they say they do. And when people don't show up, guess what? You have to show up. People have complaints. Did you know that? When you lead... People have complaints. I, <laughs> I shouldn't even share this. Right, go ahead. Um, so I preached last year on the east side uh, for Father's Day, and I got the, just the nicest email. It started with, you're a pathetic pastor. I thought that was catchy. And then he went, oh, boy, it was getting better. And, uh, and Marie said, so what are you going to do? And so I, this is what I owe. If you sign it, I'll be honest. If you send me like a, a, a scathing email and you don't sign your name, I'm just going to be honest. You're a coward. So I throw it away. I throw it away. But if you sign your name, great. Now I got to read it. So I read it, and I shot him an email, and I I said, um, hey, if you'd like to get together for coffee, let's get together sometime. And the reply was, hey, I really appreciate that you got back to me so quickly. You're still a pathetic pastor. Oh, that's nice. Okay, so. And then it was signed, love, mom, and that was embarrassing. So anyway. (laughs) That happens in life. It's just, you're going to get complaints. And then here's the other one. Uh, You're going to blow it. Guess what? You're going to blow it. And you know what? The stakes get higher and higher when you're a leader. And when you blow it, and you may think, I wonder if anybody really noticed that I blew it. Yeah, guess what? They noticed. Leading is hard, which leads to me the most uh, critical and serious part of leadership. If you're not careful, uh, the third killer B is bitterness. You can get bitter. And here's what I mean by bitter. You can get to the point when you begin looking around and you're almost angry that you're in that leadership position. And you start looking around and the longer you're a leader, this is when I know I'm in the flesh, is I'm like, why did so-and-so get that promotion? I mean, look at all, do they not know that I'm here? And you begin to get bitter. I want you to think of the disciples. Of all of the conversations they had, when was it that they were the most just frustrated and angry. You would think it would be like, oh, I'm just so frustrated because there's so many people to reach and there's so little time. You know what their greatest argument was about? Do you remember? Uh, Jesus, just wondering. We've been with you a long time. You've given your whole life to serving the downcast. You've given sight to the blind. Uh, you've, you've actually raised people from the dead. Everything you do is to help people. Jesus, thank you By the way, who's going to be the greatest when we get to heaven? Like, who's sitting on your right and left? No big deal. We just thought it'd be nice if you, you know, give us a heads up. Can you imagine as Jesus what that felt like? What happened is they got bitter because they didn't get it. And if we're not careful as leaders, we don't get it either. So this morning, you may be suffering because your schedule's packed. You're too busy. You're beginning to show signs of burnout. You may be even... Uh, moving towards an area in your life where you're becoming better, this is the time to step back and say, you know what, God, thank you for allowing me to be a leader. Let me brag on all of you. Uh, We currently have 16 teams here on the west side, folks that are serving. Uh, I had Amy do this the other day and uh, crunched all the numbers. We have over 200 people serving one way or another. We couldn't survive if you didn't have that attitude to step out and serve. So let me just tell you this. If you don't serve in any way in a church, if you don't step out and serve, you know what's going to happen eventually, you will start complaining. You know that's true. If you're a leader, you know that's true. You know that if you draw back and you don't serve, you know what starts happening. You start looking for all the things you don't like, That's why when you're not serving in any way, you go home and you know what mattered most on Sunday morning. You know, it seemed like it was a little warm in there today. Or it's too cold. The music's too loud. Was it just me or the community juice was a little sour? I mean, that's what happens. You know why? Because you're not serving. But when you're serving, guess what? You don't have time to worry about, honestly, stuff that doesn't matter. Because you're serving. So let me just say, I can't thank all of you enough because you have rolled up your sleeves and you've served. I read an article last month. It's called Outreach Magazine. They were talking about how do you gauge if a church is healthy. And it said if a church is somewhere in that 40% range of their attendance, serving in any way, they are really moving forward. And I'm like, wow, this is a great place to be because you chose to serve. To all of you that are leading these teams, I want to encourage you. Now, I probably don't tell you enough how important everything you do uh, for everything that we're getting done here is because of you and the way that you serve. Jesus calls all of us to be a leader. That's what's, in some ways, it seems scary. And here's the, again, this is, now I'm going to flip this. There's some really good things about, you probably, now you're like, yeah, that's great. I sure want to be a leader now. But I want you to know, here's the great thing about a leader. It doesn't matter whether you're an introvert it doesn't matter whether you're an extrovert. It doesn't matter if you're a man. It doesn't matter if you're a woman. And it doesn't matter what your age is. God is going to call you to lead. Isn't that awesome? He's going to call you to lead. And you may say, I'm not a leader. Guess what? Wrong answer. He's going to call you to lead. Jesus is going to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I'd like you to be a fisher of men. I'd like you to step out and lead. And that's what I love. I read recently, I love this quote by Charles Wendell about what it takes to be an effective leader. He said leaders need to cultivate two things, a righteous heart and the skin of a rhinoceros. And that's true. You have the, this heart that hurts for others, but realize you have to have a thick skin because what we do when we're leading in any way really does matter. And here's the last thing that Jesus does that I think is a remarkable thing for the church. And it's um, Luke 6:40. And it's just simply the word multiply. Now, what do I mean by that, to multiply? When Jesus called those early disciples and he kept investing in them, they didn't even have a clue why he spent so much time with them. Well, Jesus knew from the very beginning he had a strategy. And his strategy is, I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to pour my life into you. Because when I leave this world, guess what? It's up to you. You're the ones that are going to move the message forward. But if you decide not to do that, the message is not going to move forward. This is it. So he just keeps reaching out to the disciples. And honestly, just like us today, it's hard to comprehend what that means. Everyone, it tells us in Luke 640, he says, everyone fully trained will be like his teacher. That's what he said. The reason I'm spending all this time with you is you have to multiply what I've given to you. I mean, you've got to move this forward because that is going to change the world. A few years ago, I used to do this every year, and I would love for you to go online and research this. It's called MyOneWord.org. My MyOneWord.org, one word. And what a minister did is he decided that we're so distracted in our world. What if you started every year and you chose one word that you felt God laid on your heart and you focused on that word? Like, there's an area in my life, and Lord, I need your help, and I'm going to, and you use that one word. And I mean, every day you're like, Lord, I want this one word. I just want it so laser-focused. And so I would pick a word. You know, Marie was always saying, hey, just put Marie. I'm like, no, it's got to be a better word. So anyway, we, got, we use that She's not here, that's why I'm saying. And so anyway, you you use that one word. Well, for a couple of years, I'm like, I I don't know that I I really need the one word. And this year, I'm like, I've just got, there's too many words. I'm like, that's just crazy. And then recently, God's like, no, 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 I I have a word, you just haven't heard it. And it really connects with what I'm gonna share with you. And it's the word equip, equip. That there's really nothing more powerful than equip because this is what Jesus did. It's actually, it's an amazing word. It's It's a Greek word, kateritsa, Caterizzo, excuse me. And it means to repair and prepare. Repair and prepare. Now, uh, let me share with you what I think that, that meant when Jesus shared it and, uh, again, how it applies, I believe, even today. Uh, when Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, uh, you got to remember that the nets that we use today are totally different when you fish and the nets they used then. So uh, the nets today... You go out, especially guys in southern Indiana, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're fishing around here uh, in ponds or Lake Monroe, and you're out there with your buddy on your boat, uh, is there anything greater than this one statement? Hey, we need the net. Anybody you know what I'm talking about? Get the net. Even if you're lying, get the net, you know. And you know there's nothing better than a guy grabs the net and goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. You better get a bigger net. Okay, then you know that it's getting serious, okay? Now, that's the nets today, Uh, I would say, in southern Indiana. When we say a fishnet, this is what we think. That's not the nets in the days of Jesus at all. See, their nets uh, was literally for their livelihood. They were huge. And they'd go out to the boat, and I mean, there were weights on the sides, and every day they'd throw these huge nets out. And it was all about calculating uh, the time of the day, the depth, the type of fish, because see, remember, if you're a fisherman, this is what puts money on the table. This is what feeds your family. They knew everything there was to know. And so that net, that was the piece of equipment that meant everything. And that word equip means repair and prepare. In other words, every day they would take this net, and the first thing they do, they make sure everything was together, that there was nothing that was weak, and they would repair it. And when you're equipping other people, it starts with repair. In other words, where are you at? Are you hurting? Are you struggling? And the church needs to say, hey, listen, if you're really struggling, let's do everything we can to get back and to get our strength back in Jesus Christ. Sometimes, and I've done this, uh, as you're leading and you have people that are hurting, and we're like, oh, man, you just got to push through it. And there are times like, no, 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 you may need to breathe. You may need to just get it together again. Repair But what are you preparing for? You're always preparing. You're always preparing for what's next. There's nothing greater than, and I really mean this, is if you're doing your job well as a leader from day one, do you know what your goal is? To work yourself out of that job. And you know how you do that? By equipping and preparing others. Let others go with you on this journey. That's the way Jesus did it, and that's what we're called to do. Ephesians 4.12 says that we are to invest And others, because they are the servants, and we need to train the servants, and all of us start working together. Prepare God's people for service. If you're a leader, I guarantee you know this process. It goes something like this. I'm going to do it, and you watch me do it, okay? Second of all, we're going to do it together. So you watch me. Next thing, let's do this thing together. And then what do you do? Hey, I'll watch, and you do it. And what's then what's the next step that's really critical? Why don't you go do that for somebody else? So you watch me, and then let's do it together. I'll watch you. Now, you go help somebody else. Now, why is that so scary? Now, think about it. Why is that so scary? What's the first step? You watch me. Because deep down, is isn't like, I really don't want you to watch me. You ever have that Fear? And that's why many people never get to this leading others and multiplying. They, they get so paranoid about. I just don't think I've got enough to share. We all do. We all have that fear, but we all have to get through the fear. Years ago, I, I heard about this article, and I I love it. It was C, you're going to have a hard time believing. I'm using McDonald's as an example here, but CEO of McDonald's. Here's what they said. The question was, we don't get it. You have this company that keeps growing globally. And yet, you have uh, a staff that is almost completely teenagers, and it's a revolving door. Like the life expectancy (laughs) at McDonald's as far as staying power, they don't stay there long. They just, they don't. So how in the world can you continue to grow when you, number one, have young people that are dominating your service, and number two is there's just this constant turnover. And I loved what the CEO said. He said, well, it starts at the very beginning. We don't teach someone how to prepare hamburgers and french fries. We teach someone how to teach someone else how to prepare hamburgers and french fries. Does that make sense? So he said, here's this kid, and he's been here a grand total of two weeks. Now, this manager can spend all his time training, or he can use that young man who just spent two weeks at McDonald's training the next young man. And honestly, that's where the church needs to get to. Are we equipping, are we training to the point that we're launching and we're launching and we just keep moving? Now, why is that process so important? Well, it's because Jesus uses this phrase all the time, bearing fruit. Jesus is like, if you do it this way, the church will multiply. Not add, they will multiply. So let me just share something from my heart that's critical when I talk about this type of thing. A lot of people are like, I don't even know where to start. Like, you're asking me to invest in other people's lives, and I don't know how to do that. I don't feel like I'm gifted. I don't think I can lead that way. So let me start with the most important place to start this process. You might want to write this down because this is profound, okay? It starts at home. Your greatest investment starts at home. I remember one time... I was uh, teaching a class on uh, spiritual disciplines, and I was laying it on pretty thick. And afterwards, Marie said, do you ever think about everybody in the room when you're laying all this guilt on people? And and I'm like, what are you talking about? And she said, at the time, she said, okay, John, uh, we have three kids right now. One's in grade school, one's in junior high, and one's in high school. And you want me to be more spiritually disciplined, And you want me to get up at a certain time and you think, okay, my number one mission right now, other than survival, is to pour into these kids. She's absolutely right. We start with equipping our own kids and our own grandkids. Abraham Lincoln said this about his mother. He said, I am all that I am and all that I can be. I owe to my angel mother. Now, think about that. Let's say that Abraham Lincoln, the only person she really invested in was Abraham Lincoln. That was a pretty good investment. So let me just start by saying, that's where it starts. Start by saying, God, thank you for giving me the honor to lead my family closer to you, because that's where it begins. Now, here's what's amazing. I want to close with this. In John 14, Jesus is saying a prayer over those disciples, and then he Shares to me one of the most remarkable things. As he's praying, he said, when I leave this place, the Spirit's going to come. Now, you can imagine how confused they are. They don't want Jesus to leave. And he says, but don't worry about it because I'm, I'm going to bring the Spirit, and the Spirit's going to move you forward. And then here's what he says. "That You go, did Jesus really say that? He said, and there will be basically a greater impact with you than my life. Now, wait a second. There's no way 12 disciples could have a greater impact than the life of Jesus Christ. And yet we know it's true. Why? Because of multiplication. Jesus said, if you take all that I've given you and you start sharing that with others, and then they start sharing that with others, you can't even imagine the impact of that. So let me share with you what the impact is. The ripple effect of that. When Jesus came into this world, and this is a high estimate. I've been doing some research. There was somewhere between 1 and 1.5 million people. That was the world population, they believe, at that time. About 1.5 million people. He took 12 disciples. He invested in those 12 disciples. He challenged them to invest in others to do exactly what I've shared with you this morning, and the result today, there's 2.1 billion Christians in this world. 2.1 2.1 billion. Now, that doesn't even count all of the billions from the time that Jesus Christ crashed through that grave to the time we're sitting right here. Billions. And bi- now, how did that happen? It didn't happen because randomly people picked up a book and said, I want to learn about Jesus. No, it's when all these folks throughout the generation said, I want to, I want to follow him. And not only do I want to follow him, I'm willing to step out. And lead, and here's the thing, I will multiply. I will do whatever it takes to invest in others, and then they invest in others, and who knows what God will do with that. We have no idea. I'll tell you, the the greatest honor that I've had over the years is having the opportunity to invest in others, especially, I can tell you, being a youth minister 20 years, and investing in others, and having young people coming up, and I'll be honest with you, that are blowing me out of the water, what they're doing, doing so much more than I could ever do. Why? Because that's the way Jesus put this thing in motion. We are in the multiplication business. Jesus 55 times uses the phrase, bearing fruit. And that's how we do that. I want to close with this in Acts 4.13. The church is just beginning. And it was just uh, growing like wildfire. And the world basically was saying, what's going on? They didn't get it. And if you remember... The reason they didn't get it is they looked at the leaders. And the, at that point, the two leaders were Peter and John. And so you've got the Pharisees and all the leaders of the day, and they're looking out saying, okay, here's this group. They're exploding in growth. Every time these two guys show up, we can't control the crowds. People are willing to give their lives for this thing. Why? And the Scripture said, They were unschooled and uneducated. But here's the key. They had spent time with Jesus. They were with Jesus. That's the greatest thing that could happen to any of us. That someday at our funeral, they'd say, I can't tell you anything else other than this. They follow Jesus. See, that's what the church is all about. That we're willing to do whatever it takes when people say, I just want to know more about Jesus. Let's help them. When somebody says, I want to go deeper, and we'll say, yeah, just follow Jesus. And then eventually say, hey, you need to lead. And then we give people all the tools to lead, the encouragement to lead, and then ultimately that together we multiply what Christ did for us. And just like the first century, we can change the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an honor it is to be one of your disciples. And Lord would just like those early disciples, there's times uh, we get confused, at times it gets so hard. but Lord, help us to never lose sight that that person that we may bring to Jesus Christ, may be one of our own kids, it may be a grandchild, it may be a neighbor. but whoever it is, Lord, that we may bring that person to Christ who may, in their lives, influence hundreds and thousands of people. Lord, help us to obey your commission. Lord, help us to be the kind of church that does everything that we can to multiply what you've already put into motion. Thank you for loving us so much. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.